Hey, I want to do a, just a quick um, introduction for Gordon. So Gordon and I go back to, I think I'd met Gordon in 1986. And uh, we've stayed in touch over the years. He would visit us in Europe. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys, have you seen Jesus Revolution yet? Have you seen the movie? Yeah, I, uh, so, so Gordon, Gordon was a hippie that became a believer in that same movement across America. So can we hold it? So that's what hippies look like now, okay? Um, Thank you, brother. Did you have your tie-dye back in the day? <laughs> huh? Did you have your tie-dye back in the day? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he, he ended up, he was actually from Chardon. He ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, ran a, um, I don't know what you call the Jesus Inn. You worked with a lot of drug addicts. Right. You had, uh, right. you know, took in a lot of people. Uh, and then the later part of his ministry has been much more traveling. And he's had a, a long history of ministering to churches in the Ukraine. Yes. And, and now he's been connecting to them, and he'll tell us a little bit about how all these people have left the Ukraine. They've gone to in other places in Europe. Um, and, and one of the things is there's, Gordon has a different style of speaking than I do, but I want you to listen for what Jesus wants to say to you. Uh, so we're not doing Corinthians this week, and I didn't, we're, no. we're in a series on Corinthians, and I wasn't going to have you preach on expel the immoral brother from among them. <laughs> right. yeah, there's a hot topic. Anyway, um, so uh, let's take a minute, pray for him, and then ask the Lord to minister to us through him. Jesus, we mm -hmm. just thank you for Gordon and the, the long friendship that I've had with him, Amen. and I ask that you would anoint him to communicate your word. Bless this community through your brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Here you thank go. You, thank you. I, I think that Dwight and I had a similar background. I was uh, living in a community in uh, Colorado, and I had a divine encounter with the Lord, and I had hair down to hair, and I got the beard back recently, but I, I, last time I was here, I didn't have this, but so uh, we had the privilege uh, in the early 90s of releasing Dwight and Kelly to go to Amsterdam. You probably know the story. And then thereafter, we had the opportunity to visit that church, to spend time with them. And we actually used that as a stopping place on the way into Russian Ukraine when we started that work. And we've been working in Russia and Ukraine since 1989. Uh, uh, right after the wall came down, we went in and working steadily uh, twice a year up until uh, the war. Um, actually went in during COVID. Uh, their mandates weren't too bad and I was able to go in uh, 2019 right before uh, the war occurred. Uh, before we get into that, I'd just like to share with you, we have a book table, and uh, the purpose of these books is to encourage and equip the church. Everything out there that costs something, which is only a couple of things, are cost, and it's uh, something to do with the call of God in my life. I remember when I was a young Christian, we had a pastor in our church who was a professor of theology at Oral Roberts University, Dr. Charles Farah, and he challenged me one time and said, if you pray, God will give you a life verse. And his life verse was uh, 
1 Corinthians 28 and 29 where it talks about bringing every man on to maturity and every strength and everything I have to do that. And I prayed for a verse and the Lord gave me Ephesians chapter four, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's what I do. That's what I'm gonna do through the word. That's what we do through our book table. Uh, that's the call uh, on my life. I wanted to share with you just a little bit about uh, some things in regard to this war and uh, what's going on in Ukraine in particular. I've kept up with the brothers in Russia also. Uh, we're working with the unregistered Pentecostal church, which is basically the underground church. When I first went in, uh, uh, Gorbachev had uh, declared a uh, amnesty for all non-violent uh, political prisoners. So the pastors had just been let out of prison. It was very interesting, so I got to meet a lot of them. Met a man who'd been in prison for 23 years, uh, senior bishop of the uh, uh, Russian church had been in prison for 16 years. Incredible stories uh, that they were sharing with us. And so we've been working with them consistently. Uh, I don't know if you know the dynamic uh, spiritually in regard to what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, there's a real spiritual dynamic to it. Uh, we know that uh, Putin has some issues with security as far as uh, being concerned about Ukraine and NATO, and that's in the mix. But also there's an issue about the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church, because the Ukrainian Orthodox Church had declared independence. Uh, there was a whole thing about Kiev. You know, Kiev is the holy city. It's the mother city. There was no uh, surprise that when the war started, uh, rather than doing what he said he was going to do, they immediately tried to take Kiev. And that was blessed by Patriarch Krill, who is the Russian Orthodox Patriarch. So there's a spiritual dynamic. It's like a holy crusade to try to bring Ukraine back under. That's part of it. That's part of the mix. Um, Ukraine is close to 89.6% Christian. 89.6, 90%. It's the largest Christian nation in Europe. Uh, Russia's about 40, 46%. Again, many of those are Orthodox, but most of those are really a spiritual people, and many of those are saved. During this war, there has, uh, it has created 8.4 million refugees. 8.4 million people fled the country. Four million are in Poland and 4.4 million are scattered throughout Europe and even into America. There are eight million displaced people in Ukraine. They're not in their homes, their homes are destroyed, they're displaced. That's one quarter of the Ukrainian population. That's what the war has done. But one of the dynamics about this is, is the fact that there's 8.4 million refugees scattered mainly through Europe and of those, almost 90% are, quote, Christian. So we, we, we've been praying for a revival in post-Christian Europe through these Ukrainians, through their influence. I was talking to a pastor. Uh, we, went, we went in June, you can pray about that. We went in June of last year to visit pastors that had fled the war in Ukraine that we support. And so we flew into Paris and we went on to Brussels 
And then uh, we went up to Germany, visited different pastors and so on. But what we saw was that the, these pastors have a vision for Europe. They said, our vision is that our children who will learn the language and so on will evangelize Europe. It's, a, it's an incredible dynamic. So let me just share with you a couple of testimonies I received. Now this was during the assault on Kiev, during the attack when it was really, really uh, virulent. And uh, here's one testimony out of Venitsa, which is basically a city just to the southwest of Kiev in the middle of the country. And it says, we feel your prayer support. Sometimes something really inexplicable happens as if someone's invisible hand takes bullets and shells away from us. They fly past us. We emerge victorious from every difficult situation as if someone is accompanying us. We become invisible to the enemy. We see ourselves even in complete darkness and we know what to do and how to do it. It inspires us and gives us strength. We believe that the Lord Jesus himself is for Ukraine. We ask you not to stop, but to support us, to continue to pray. Now, most of it's concentrated on the east in two oblasts, which are bordering Russia, and they keep trying to push out, so, but we need to continue to pray. Here's another testimony. This is in Kiev. God Almighty is at work, and this is during the, the greatest conflict in Kiev. Russian rockets dropped without explosion. Promised IL-76 and Grad, these are big uh, uh, artillery pieces and uh, mechanized units. They said they never showed up. Enemy tanks ran out of fuel suddenly. Russian occupants were demoralized and got lost. They walked in fields and villages asking locals for bread and direction. And we got this report a lot. That huge convoy that was like 30 miles long that was going in to take Kiev stalled in the middle. They ran out of gas, the people scattered, they made their way back to Russia. It was an incredible happening. The pastor of the Pentecostal church in Bucha, where most severe battle is happening, said Ukrainian soldiers and officers are telling me they're witnessing miracles from above. They are renewed in strength and being witnesses of the Lord. There was one actual report of lightning shooting from heaven and landing on Russian troops and tanks. There was an actual report. My daughter, who's in Spain, was in a Zoom Bible study, and one of the ladies knew a pastor in Ukraine, and he said basically that, it, that this war was a huge blessing, whereas being a small group uh, congregating at the church, he says now they're holding regular meetings throughout the week, and the place is continually packed out by people earnestly desiring to know God and seek him. I've been in Ukraine for 34 years, and ever since the wall came down, there's been an ongoing harvest, just an ongoing harvest. It's not spectacular, but it's consistent. I would go in the spring and the fall, and every time I would go, that's so a six-month gap, every time I would go, there would be new churches birthed, and churches would grow, and it would just continue. It was constant. And now they're scattered throughout Europe. I preached in a large uh, Ukrainian church in Brussels, it was a church of about 70, 70 80 people, and uh, I preached to 500 people in that church. The church was totally packed out. They were talking about tearing out a wall 
to be able to accommodate it. And I shared with them from Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, and we can pray this for the uh, church in Ukraine and the church scattered in Europe. At a great time of persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. We need to pray they do that. I'd like to see Europe one for God. I really, I just think that the enemy overplayed his hand. I have a couple of slides I want to show you from our trip in June, just so you can see the dynamic of this one church in Brussels, if we can get that up there. So we flew into Paris uh, because it had the least mandate. Brussels was very restrictive. We rented a car and drove to Brussels. Go ahead. And I want to show you my lovely wife. Doesn't she look great? She turned 71 this month. Seven kids. <laughs> we have seven children. That's the most amazing part. Okay, go ahead. So this is the church, and that's actually my translator, Sveta. And uh, we decided during that time that we would sponsor them, and they're now in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a bit of a... Uh, you know, you had to work through a lot of things, but we got, he, she and her husband and three children in Tulsa now. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want you to feel this. Go ahead. Go ahead. From 60 or 70. Isn't that powerful? And the pastor, Victor, is behind us, and he is one of the most humble men I've met. He called me into his office. He was talking to me. He said, do you know why I'm a pastor? I said, well, you know, no, why are you a pastor? He said, I have no choice. If I was not a pastor, I'd be an alcoholic. He said, I was an alcoholic, I was a carouser, and he said, if God hadn't pushed me into the ministry, I'd still be doing that. I had to be, I had no choice. I had to be a pastor or an alcoholic. So please pray. This church's name is Bethany, and uh, a very dynamic church. But I just wanted to see one. This is a family camp in Germany, and the greater part of those are from that church, but other immigrants in Europe. And some of the main guys from Ukraine came to teach. It was a fantastic time. So look, look at this. Just get a grip on that. Look at these kids. So we're pretty... So God is moving in the midst of this, so please pray. Okay, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This will be the key verse. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. I'm just going to read this slowly. I mentioned this to Dwight. He said, oh, that's one of my favorite verses. It's one of mine, too. I love Philippians chapter 2. It talks about community, too. It talks about how to live together. Fantastic chapter. But in this area here, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was obedient even unto death. The issue of Jesus' life, if you watch it through Scripture, is obedience. Obedience is the central issue of the Word of God. Through disobedience, we lost our place in paradise and access to the tree of life. It's interesting, I didn't put this verse in here, but in the la one of the last chapters of Revelations, it says, and those who obey my commandments will have access to the tree of life. It comes back around in Revelation. Through disobedience, we lost our place, but restoration came through one man's obedience. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. The theme of obedience is carried throughout Scripture. Andrew Murray, a South African pastor, a well-known author, wrote a book called Blessings of Obedience. He lived in the 1800s, and he said this, the whole redemption of Christ consists of restoring obedience. I remember one time as a young Christian, the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly. He said, the whole issue and what I'm trying to accomplish here is to restore divine order. And that has to do with obedience. And the enemy comes to bring chaos, divine order in families, in the church, in government, all these different areas. And the enemy comes to bring chaos, husbands against wives, children against uh, parents, etc. We can see these things. The whole redemption of Christ consists of restoring obedience. God is restoring obedience to his people. Jesus was always obedient. John chapter 5, verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus only did what the Father was doing. Another area talks about he only spoke what the Father spoke. He only did what the Father was doing. He was always obedient to the Father. Now, if we look back at that area of Scripture I just read, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, what does it say? We are to be of the same mind. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it talked the scenario of obedience. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God has called us 
to the same obedience. Obedience is the central issue of the Christian life. It really is. I remember one time I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Larry Lee. He was uh, a very strong proponent of the uh, prayer movement, but he also was the dean of the seminary at Oral Roberts University. And I was talking to him one time, and he shared with me this story. He said, you know, one time I had the opportunity to sit in a car next to Pastor Youngi Cho. And Youngi Cho had the largest church in Korea, and I think it may well have been the largest church in the world. And they had a thing called Prayer Mountain. They had all these people praying and things going on. He said, I was in the car with him. We were going to a conference. And he said, I turned to Pastor Cho and I said, Pastor Cho, could I ask you, what is the secret to your success? What is the secret to your success? He said, Cho looked at him, and he kind of chuckled, and he said, I pray and I obey. The secret of success, I pray and I obey. James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, then he goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, I love this part, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What really strikes me here, it's not talking about hearing the word and then deciding to be disobedient. It says hearing the word and then forgetting what you heard <laughs> or forgetting what you read. But it says if you are a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are to be obedient to the word of God. And then it says clearly, if you do this, you will be blessed in what you do. You will be blessed in what you do. We're going to address this. What are some of the blessings of obedience? What is the reward of obedience? Number one, you might, you might want to write this down. When I was in Russia... Uh, Russia's famous for good preachers. They're all exhorters, you know. And I come and I'm a teacher. So I say, look, I'm a teacher. You need to take notes. So I'm encouraging you, you know. Something speaks to you, write it down. Uh, I went into a church. It was an old line church. A bunch of older babushkas with their coverings on, you know, out there. And I said, how many, how many here have heard me teach before? And they go... You know, they wave their hand. I said, how many here have their pencil and paper? And they grin and they go, here's the paper. Okay, so it's an unusual thing for the Russian church. The first reward of obedience, listen carefully, God's presence and power. God's presence and power. John 8, 28 through 29. John 8, 28 through 29. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. 
and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As you're obedient to the Father, you will be pleasing to him, and he will always be with you. Now we know God is always with us, but this is speaking about the manifest presence and power of God being with us. Andrew Murray, the man I mentioned earlier, said this also, only by entering his will through obedience is it possible to be his people. God delights to dwell in the midst of his people's obedience. He crowns the obedient with favor and presence. What I have found about hearing the voice of God is that basically every act of obedience makes the atmosphere more clear. And every act of disobedience clouds it. Not that he isn't there. It has to do with our relationship. It has to do with the manifest presence. John 15, verse 9 through 10. John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The word of God says you need to keep his commandments to abide in his love. Truly the love of God is God's presence. We're talking about the presence of God. If you are obedient to the word of God, you will abide in his presence. Now here's another verse that talks about abiding in the doctrine or teachings of the word of God. 1 John 2, 24. 1 John 2, 24. This is why it's so important that we abide in the word of God, that we be students of the word of God. I've been reading this book for 50 years, and every time I read it, I see something new. And sometimes it's the same scriptures. I tend to gravitate towards certain areas of scripture that I enjoy. Every time something new opens up. We're going to get to that. It's alive. 1 John 2, 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you are abiding in, if you are obedient to the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God, you will abide in His presence. The first reward for obedience is God's presence and His power. Number two, sanctification and cleansing. Sanctification and cleansing. 1 Peter 1, 22. This is so clear. You know, some of these verses just, just leap out. It says here, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. As we obey the truth, the Word of God through the Spirit, our souls are purified. 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7. I, this area here I love. 1 John 1, 7. And, and, and you probably know this scripture. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, 
cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing us from all sin. What is the light we are to walk in? Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. God's commandments, his word is the light that we are to walk in. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Uh, you might want to read this over yourself uh, afterwards. Just think about it, meditate on it. It's a really rich area. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Listen to this. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's talking about the day, capital D. Until that day, we are to heed the light that shines in a dark place. That prophetic word confirmed. Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is a sure word of prophecy. It is a light that shines in a dark place. It is the light we are to walk in. And if we do this, the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us of our sin. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, once said this, when we're faced with disasters, when we're overcome by darkness, when things seem so dark that, the, that we doubt that we are pleasing to God, then we should learn to reach for the Bible. We should recognize that we live in a dark world, and the only reason we can see it all is that the light of God's word shines brightly. We live in a dark world. The only reason we can see it all is the light of God's word shines brightly. Luther as we are obedient to the word of God, we are cleansed and sanctified. The second reward for obedience is cleansing and sanctification. Finally, number three, eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. Hebrews 5, I've got that wrong. Hebrews 5, it says 8.1. So let me check real quick, make sure this, which, what, what the actual verse is. Hebrews Chapter 5. Okay. It's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. I don't know what that one was in there for, but it's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now listen. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. This is scripture. We're going to go into it more. He became the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Now listen carefully. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now we know that salvation is a free gift. It is given to us by God when we repent and receive the Lord. But we work out that gift that God has put in through obedience. We work it out in our lives through obedience. But then at the end of the verse, it gives you a bit of an out, and it's really good. It says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God gives us the gift of salvation, then he gives us the ability, the power, and the willingness to be obedient that the gift might be worked out in our lives. God does not require anything of you that he doesn't give you the power and the ability to accomplish. It's, the, it's God. From the beginning to the end, it's all God, but we must cooperate with his spirit in obedience to the word of God and to the spirit. The third reward of obedience is eternal salvation. In summary, God has called us to obedience. Obedience to God and to his word. The theme of obedience is carried throughout scripture. Obedience is the central issue of the Christian walk. The scriptures say that if we are obedient to God, he will reward us, one, with his presence and his power, two, with cleansing and sanctification, and finally, three, with eternal salvation. God has called us to obedience. There was a Presbyterian hymnologist John H. Samus, and he wrote a hymn in 1887, and this is the hymn. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. Thanks, Gordon. <laughs> so.